Two balls and one strike. Fastball in the outside corner. Strike two. Taking time on the mound now. Has the sign and winds up. And a 2-2 pitch curveball. Welcome to the BBA Today, your podcast that covers events around the Brewster Baseball Association every day with your host, Yellow Springs 9 General Manager, Ron Collins. And now, let's get on with the show. Welcome to episode 10, historic episode 10. We've hit double digits in the BBA Today podcast. I'm very excited about that. Um, I am even more excited to uh, tell you that I have with me today the uh, Omaha Hawks general manager, Justin Niles, and we are going to revive uh, today our old This Week in the Brewster uh, feature of Three Strikes and You're Out. Uh, Justin, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to uh, to have some fun with me here. Absolutely. This is something that, that I've really missed doing, and I think it's... Uh... Uh, a very interesting piece um, for for anybody that that cares to listen. Well, it may or may not be interesting, but it's a whole lot of fun for me. So what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think uh, for those who are new to the uh, uh, new to the league, uh, this three strikes and you're out thing is that each one of us, uh, myself and Justin, will bring in three. Uh, uh, topics of conversations or questions, in, um, and then at the end we'll end up posting a little uh, poll, and everyone can tell us which one of us struck out and which one of us uh, which one of us hit for strikes and which one of us missed the plate. Um, so I think what we've decided is that I'm going to go ahead and throw out the first strike uh, today, Justin. So to my first strike um, focuses on Mark Simpson. Uh, Mark Simpson is off to a little bit of a slow start this year in Chicago. Uh, still getting on base like Matt. He's uh, he's having a Reese, uh, not Reese Worm, a Mark Worm kind of year with a 239 batting average and a 417 on base clip. It all adds up to 1.2 war, so it's building up and building up. Um, he is 33 years old right now, sitting at a career total of 66 war, which is projecting up towards 70 by years in. We are hearing a lot of buzz about guys like Jared Gilstrom, uh, obvious Hall of Famer, Dusty Rhodes, probable Hall of Famer. Uh, even earlier in their career, Emilio Morales from your team. We're having lots of fun conversation uh, about that. But Mark Simpson is kind of flying under the radar. So my question to you as my first strike is, is Mark Simpson a Hall of Famer? Well, you know, the, the Hall of Fame to me is, is precious material and I'm a huge advocate, um, for a, for a small hall. Um, so of course your first question, question would, would have to do with the Hall of Fame. Um, uh, look, looking first at his black and gray ink, um, both are falling short of his, of the current Hall of Fame standards. Uh, but like you mentioned, he's only 33, so he probably has a couple years left. Um, and, and a lot of that ink is also coming in from games started. Uh, he's quite a durable player. Uh, he led the league in games started and started all 162 of them multiple times so far in his career. Um, his OPS plus and WRC plus are both really good. Uh, they're both essentially 40% better than the average hitter. Um, and his war also indicates that, you know, that 66 war is a, 
is definitely impacted by that. Um, but with him, he was no slouch with the glove either. He hasn't been a slouch with the glove. He's won four gold gloves. Um, that, along with the 400, 400 on base percentage, um, is, is really the deciding factor for me. I wish he was able to steal second a little more consistently. Um, but I'm still putting him in the Hall of Fame. You know, If his career ended today at age 33, I would put him in the Hall of Fame. Uh, but he probably has four or five years left. I'm not sure how productive of years, but you know, if he's hitting at a at a 400 clip or on base percentage, they're going to be very productive years. Um, to me, I think he's he's definitely a Hall of Famer. What do you think? Yeah, I think he's an interesting question uh, because he doesn't get a whole lot of the ink that a lot of the other guys do. You laid out all the statistical numbers pretty well. Um, you know. It, he winds up at, uh, let's say he winds up a little shy of 70 war this year. Um, he continues to play. A lot of it probably has to do with whether he regresses a whole lot uh, toward the end of his career. Uh, was it uh, Valery Karmalov, for example, is a really interesting case because he's got a strong case, but his um, uh, the taste that he left by sticking around for an extra three or four years when he wasn't um, anything near, a, <laughs> wasn't really a, a strong player. I, you know, you wonder how much that has to do with the voting. So, um, for me, he's kind of a, a enigma. I'm not sure whether I would put. I'm, I don't think that I would put him on right this minute. But he does have a couple of more years, and it will not surprise me to see his name on my uh, on my ballot. Um, but you seem to be. Pr- I'm, I'm interested. That's that's interesting. My strike one has you has you the small hall guy uh, already saying Simpson is in. So so my day is already made. What do you got for for your strike one? Well, so for my strike one, we're going to head to the uh, well to, to the top of the league. I guess you could say we've heard nothing but Edmonton over the last few weeks talking about their projected win totals, um, despite having a worse team than prior years. Um, According to Chris, um, I think at one point they were figuring to have 130 wins or something like that. Uh, now we're just a few weeks later, and Louisville, uh, a Heartland team, I must say, has passed them for the best record in the BBA with a 7-7-1 winning percentage. Uh, who finishes with the better record between Edmonton and Louisville? And if you know who also who actually has the superior team? We know that. Louisville is probably going to win more games because they play in a very good Heartland division. But uh, who actually has the better team? You know, if they were both in the Heartland or if if uh, if Louisville wasn't in the Heartland, which one of these teams is superior? Oh, Justin, you're going to do this to me. You're, you're going to make me talk about either Edmonton, who ripped my heart out last year, <laughs> or Loserville, who is... Just loserville. I, I just can't believe that you're bringing this kind of strike in as our first. Oh my god. Um, I think um, when I pull myself out of my um, out of my shock and awe and pain, and look at these two teams, I think that uh, the big question here is probably really pitching. Uh, I don't really believe Chris when he starts talking about how poor his team is because, you know, he's learning the uh, reverse jinx from the master, Brett himself. Or maybe he taught Brett and it's just kind of going back and forth. Edmonton's offense is about as elite as you can get. Um, you know, uh, uh, Donadani is um, 
is just adding fuel onto the fire there. But you can't look at a at a team with uh, Stephen Collins and Menzies and so forth on the uh, the bats that they've got are just uh, super elite, and that's why they're uh, doing what they're doing in the uh, weaker Johnson League as a whole, right? Um, uh, it pains me to absolutely no end, though, to look at Louisville and have to say that at this moment, I don't think that that huge run that they're on is uh, is a uh, pure element of luck. I mean, they have literally the absolute best outfield in the um, in the Brewster right now with, uh, what, Quaco and uh, Borges in center field who pushed Hubbard out of center field. Uh, that's just a flat-out elite of the elite. Their pitching is young and strong. It's a little bit fragile. Right? It seems like Shaw is constantly uh, uh, complaining about one of his young guys getting hurt, and I completely understand that. If I were, if I were an actual, if I were so sad as to be an actual Loserville fan, I would be anxious every time one of those pitchers hits the mound. Uh, but I think Louisville, um, in my intellectual sense. Um, as bereft as they are in ethics and morality and just pure uh, stinkiness, I think Louisville uh, is right now the best team in the Brewster uh, when it comes right down to it, and I think they're showing it. I don't think it's even really close. I, I agree 100%. I think that um, I think that Louisville is is not only the best team in the BBA, but I don't think Edmonton's a top five team in the BBA. So. Ooh, shots fired. <laughs> um, let me throw out my strike, too. Um, recently, I don't know if you saw this, because a California news outlet put out a, a, a piece of news, and they kind of buried the lead, but, uh, you know, they have uh, now released ex-Chicago general manager Vic Kaleka, was let go by the California Crusaders, as buried as he was in their organization. Maybe that makes a difference, maybe it doesn't, but... You know, at the end of the day, while a lot of people, I think, saw him as kind of this, uh, you know, when he was with Chicago, when he was the, the GM there, saw him as kind of this bumbling, inefficient kind of guy. Um, but at least others said that, you know, he could do the job. And, you know, unlike, here's the interesting twist, unlike some fans in Long Beach, where the surfers right now are running in last place in the weakest uh, Pacific division that we've seen in a long time. They're at 18 and 31. And a lot of surfer fans are saying that Stephen Lane has got to go, that he's on the hot seat. So my question to you as strike two is, what are your guesses for uh, Vic Kaleka? Will surfer owner O'Shea Jackson be giving the ex-tow trucker a call or will Vic Kaleka wind up trying to find employment in refuse transportation before it's all said and done? Wow. So I actually, I did see all this, um, and I've, I've kind of kept to myself on, on what I think is going to happen, but I'm, I'm going to let it out there. I'm going to blow your mind here. Um, I'm calling a big conspiracy theory on this. Um, I actually think Vic is going to wind up back in Chicago. Um, I'm not convinced he ever was actually let go from duties there Ooh. and is actually a mole in these other, in these other teams. I, I think his departure from California, um, you know, may have more to it as well than, than what's being let out. Um, I personally think that, uh, he was sent around by Chicago, sent around the league to teams that are producing well and have built their squad up and is actually reporting the news back to the Black Sox owner 
Um, as because as you see, Chicago's been sort of struggling this year. They they were they were um, not great last year. I think that he was actually has been sent around the league, and I think we're we're about to have a second Black Sox scandal in the world of baseball on the horizon here. I think Vic is going to be going to be called out and caught one of these days. Um, and I'm not sure that, you know, just as you described him, I think that's kind of how everybody sees him as a, as a, a bumbling, you know, guy who knows nothing that can wear a baseball cap and that's about it. And that somehow Chicago still managed to be 500 with him. Yeah. I think there's more to that. I think he's, um, I think he has given some good information to Chicago that they wouldn't have without him. Well, there you have it, a real tin hat conspiracy thing going on there. Benny Vitale uh, in the seat right now. Uh, rumors flying around her as being, um, uh, as being in some interesting uh, situations with the owner, Vic, um, Benny Vitale. Uh, yeah, that could be, that's an interesting idea. I hadn't really considered that. That's uh, um, I. You I heard it first here, fans. I think that that would be a huge, uh, a huge news break for for the BBA in general. So I hope that that is a uh, true story that's that's about to unfold. Um, <laughs> let like me toss my strike two at you here, and I can't believe that we're that we're talking about this. But Rockville recently made an announcement that they would consider tearing it all down if a good enough offer came along for one of their players. Um, you know. I've been in the league since 2030, and Rockville has been very, very good basically my entire tenure with the league. Um, let me ask, is now the time for Rockville to tear it down with the weak Atlantic, Atlantic division? Or should they actually be going for one last run just because of how weak the Atlantic is? Yeah, I don't know. That's a really interesting question. I was shocked to see that... Um that news roll out that Rockville would be interested in hearing offers on some of their players trying to make that decision. Um, you know, but on the other hand, uh, a couple of things go together. First off, Aaron Weiner is, uh, is really a amazing uh, general manager. When you watch what he does, um, uh, I don't know how he does it most of the time, to be honest with you, but uh, he has put together an amazing uh, collection of baseball players over the, over the years. And if you go back just before you uh, rolled into the league as the Omaha general manager, uh, Rockville had just come out of a rebuild. So he understands, Aaron really understands how to tear a team down and build it back up again. Um, but that having been said, it's against that backdrop that I say um, the, the second piece going into this is if you look at the Montreals and the Charm Cities and the Atlantic Cities, um, those are three teams, for example, and Brooklyn is an interesting outlier. I'm not sure where Brooklyn is going to go, but they've got some really interesting players. Um, those three or maybe four teams, I think, could be building to a point where they're going to be pretty solid. And so if you're Aaron, um, the old caveat or old uh, saw of, um, you know, trade before players lose their value might be coming into play here. And the fact that Rockville's start for the first now two months is a sub-500 start. Uh, add that all together, and I think that Aaron is playing this in exactly the right way because I think he still has the horses to compete in the Atlantic because it is not as strong as the Frontier. Um, 
I think he's got the horses to compete, but he is not competing right now. So I think at the end of the day, if he gets the right package, that yes, it is time. But that package has got to be huge and um, and essentially give him a kind of a rocket start to a soft rebuild rather than a hard one. His last rebuild was a very hard rebuild. Uh, I, so I think that ultimately what he's doing right here, and it makes a whole lot of sense to me, is he's going to listen to people for about a month before trade deadline, and if he can get a big package with you know four or five um, valuable uh, players with one or two real impact players, I think he would tear that down and make it happen. In that, in two years, uh, three years, he would be right back where he's at right now. That's my my flavor. If he doesn't get that kind of package, then no, he shouldn't. Yeah, and if I remember right. Um, during the during the last offseason, he's re-signed one of his pitchers. I don't remember if it was Cannon or not, but he signed him to a extremely backloaded deal um, to where a very, very large chunk of money was on the last year of the deal. Right. Um, and that kind of simplified and said, well, we know when the window for Rockville is closing. Um, to me, if he were to, to trade, um, not necessarily Cannon, if that's who it was, but if he were to trade other players, um, he's still going to have to deal with that backloaded salary here in a couple of years um, in a season that he was planning on potentially being a rebuild season, it appears. And so that's my concern is that if he tears it down too early now, the rebuild is going to last too long. Yeah, I think there's two different pieces of that. And it was Cannon that signed that huge deal. I think it's uh, got two thirty million dollars uh, years at the end of it as player options. At least one of them is a player option. I can't remember whether the team option is the last one or not. Uh, I think two parts go into that. Uh, first off, uh, if he's tearing it down and he trades Cannon, then it doesn't matter, right? Because then the, that contract is no longer on his um, on his, his his register, and I doubt that he would eat salary to move players like this. But I don't know. Uh, the second piece is that Cannon is still Cannon is on his way at age. What is he? Thirty three, thirty four. Uh, he's about ready to win his fourth straight Nebraska if he keeps pitching like this. Uh, so who knows how long he can keep pitching like this. And then the, the third piece to this is that if he gets a whole bunch of young players behind him, you can put a $30 million player onto a, a roster and not have any real impact if 12 of those players are impact men-sal players. So I, I don't think that that uh, one contract is a big problem. Uh, when it comes right down to it. Yeah, absolutely. you're right. You're right. Absolutely. I can see that. I mean, there was a year, I don't know, maybe three years ago. It was whatever year Morales made $35 million in one year. And, and you know, we were able to to bounce around. And that was the year we had a lot, a lot of our kids called up in Omaha. And so, you know, yep. it wasn't a huge deal. But, um, yeah. So you've got to juggle the financial uh, thing year by year. But Aaron is brilliant. And I... Uh, I think ultimately, if he can get the right package right now, that this is the time. But that's got to be a huge, uh, huge package. And if he doesn't get the huge package, then he's playing with house money, right? And you know, he, he'll keep going. And who knows? The team could get hot, and he could find himself in the playoffs again. Absolutely. So, uh, let me throw my third strikeout. Strike three coming. You talked about Edmonton in in one of your earlier ones, and and actually, I'm very interested in this. Uh, because the consensus this year is San Antonio is finally for real. And in fact, they're kind of on a big run. They recently uh, took two out of three from Edmonton that I know that Mike Calvaruso, the general manager there, was um, 
kind of edgy about and considering it to be a big week. Uh, right now, San Antonio is down by, I think it's six or seven games, um, seven games to Edmonton. Uh, looking at the schedule going forward, San Antonio has a softer June schedule than Edmonton does. Um, and so I'm wondering whether you might see the Jackrabbits regress to mean after that really super hot start. I'm going to make you a buy-or-sell argument. And the uh, buy-or-sell argument is that San Antonio sits at the top of the frontier by the All-Star break. What do you think? Um, you know, seven games is a, is a pretty large jump. Um, so, I mean, if you had said, you know, maybe the month after the All-Star break, I would 1,000% buy this. But uh, I'm still going to take a chance. I'm, I'm going to buy this. I think that, um, you know, in my media guide predictions, I had Edmonton failing to win 90 games this year and actually missing the playoffs. Uh, despite the amazing start Edmonton has had, I still think they're going to miss the playoffs. I told you I didn't think they were a top five team in the BBA, and you know they have a really good offense, but um, I, th- I think they're going to miss the playoffs. Put me down for that 100%, write it in ink, do whatever you need to do. Um, you can take my blood if you need to. They're going to miss the playoffs. <laughs> uh, San Antonio, Mexico City, Las Vegas, Boise, and even Calgary. Uh, are going to see to it that Edmonton is watching from the outside. The frontier is just good. I mean, there that is a good division. We we talk about the Heartland being very good, and the Heartland is great. Uh, the frontier is is definitely the second best division in baseball. Um, they're going to beat each other up enough where they could and likely are only going to see two of the sit spots in the postseason going to the frontier. Um, and if that's the case, I'm I'm taking San Antonio and. Um, you know, it's hard to bet against Las Vegas, but I would take Mexico City as the other representative. Well, there you go. That's a, that's a pretty bold statement right there around Edmonton. And since Edmonton ripped my heart out and, uh, and is wearing my third ring, you know, Jacksonville's uh, wearing my, my first two rings and Edmonton is wearing my third um, from, a, um, from an emotional point of view. I'm, I'm, I'm happy if that works out because, you know, Edmonton fans, oh, God. Edmonton is like is becoming the Louisville of the Johnson in in Ohio fan in Ohio, right? Um, I don't know if I can buy Edmonton Edmonton completely out of the playoffs this year just because they're they banked so many wins it's going to be hard for them to go to zero, <laughs> um, and I don't know that uh, there's a lot of teams in the Atlantic that will will go forward, but I could definitely see it. I mean, you're I think you're right. Uh, top to bottom, the the uh, frontier is a uh, is a tough league, uh, tough division. Uh, Wichita is proving to be a thorn in a lot of people's side too, so they could steal a few games from Edmonton going through it. A lot of it probably just depends on Edmonton's pitching. Their their pitching is nowhere near uh, where a couple of the other teams are. Um, but uh, but obviously I, I'm a I'm big on San Antonio right now. I've been watching them for a month or two and and um, and wondering how they were going to go, and they've done nothing but uh, tell me that things are good for them. So if uh, for, I'm going to jinx Mike here. If if, if uh, the outliers can avoid the injury bug, I think they're going to make some pretty big waves here this this year. Absolutely, yeah. That is. Um, I wasn't going to mention the I, that I think San Antonio has had pitching woes every year that I've been in the league just because of injuries. And uh, so since you mentioned it, you know, as as long as they can stay healthy, I think that San Antonio is is going to. Um, and and I I don't think that. 
you know, I don't think it's going to be San Antonio winning that division by one game. Uh, I, I think Edmonton's going to be at least seven games back. You know, they're four, they're set, I think it's going to be a complete 14-game swing. <laughs> well, there you go. There you have it. All right, let me talk. Yeah, let me toss you this strike and, and toss you out. Uh, Wilson Andrade is having a fantastic breakout season in Charm City. Um, he had a pretty well-covered 30-game hitting streak to start the season. Uh, currently has a 4-2 sits batting average and finds himself in the top 10 in many offensive categories. Uh, he does, however, only have eight home runs on the season and 33 RBI. Um, regardless of whether those stats matter or not, um, you know, compared to, to war or, or win probability added or WRC, how much is this going to hurt any MVP chances he has when the league leaders have nearly three times as many home runs and twice as many RBI as Andrade? Well, those are always interesting questions, I think. Uh, well, first off and foremost, Andrade is almost certainly the pucket winner for um, uh, for shortstops, right? I mean, that's he's the... Um, He's certainly got to be the leader <laughs> as far as that goes. Um, I don't think that uh, lacking RBIs will hurt Wilson Andrade much at all. I think the league has pretty much gone past, for the most part, uh, the the RBI as a major player in uh, in making votes like um, like the Sawyer Silk. Um, the biggest problem that I think Wilson Andrade has in context of winning a Sawyer Silk is that he plays in the same league as Juan Rivera <laughs> and Dennis French. Um, as good as Andrade has been, Rivera, I think, if I'm remembering right, Rivera still leads the league in war and is just a, has no holes, right? And I know Dennis French has... Um, uh, I mean, French hit 340, and it was a slow month for him coming out of the gate. Um, so the, ultimately, the question when it comes right down to it is if you look at Andrade, and let's say he hits 400, um, how much will people talk about a 400 hitter? Um, and Andrade's got some power. I mean, I think he hit 20. I looked at it earlier today. I think he hit 21 home runs last year, so it's not like he's totally bereft of power. Uh, but the question is, let's say, does a 20-home run hitter who hits 400 get more votes than a 350 uh, hitter um, who does 40, 45 home runs and, and slugs better? Um, I mean, I think that'd be an interesting, interesting vote. I would love to, absolutely love to see um, Andrade... Rivera, French, and uh, the Italian all have mega seasons and see what that voting, um, what that voting ends up looking like. Uh, so at the end of the day, I think lack of home runs will hurt Andrade a little bit in that race. Let's say all four of those have their absolute best peak season. Andrade's lack of home runs will hurt him a little bit. I don't think his lack of RBIs will hurt him at all. Uh, but at the end of the day, right now, I think this is Juan Rivera's. Uh, uh, award to lose when it when it comes right down to it. Yep, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think that um, you know it's it's home runs and RBI clearly do not matter to Silk winners because Morales led the league five times in each and took home zero, and so it doesn't matter. You know, 
Um, I think that uh, this isn't going to hurt him as much as, as you mentioned, this is Juan Rivera's year to, to, to lose it if he's going to lose it. So. Uh, it's probably the case for a couple of years. I mean, right, right this minute. If let's take Rivera and French out of the equation, right, and you say Wilson Andrade and Larchibaldi, uh, the Italian. <laughs> you know, let's say they both hit 400. Who who wins over those two? Well, probably Andrade because Andrade is going to have uh, quite a bit more power. I don't think Archibald. I don't think the Italian will hit 20, 25 home runs. I think Andrade will. And so in that case, the lack of home runs would hurt the Italian a little bit. So home runs make a difference. It's just they're, it's not the, it makes a difference in the overall package of things, right? The difference between 20 home runs and 50 home runs is a pretty big deal. The difference between 50 home runs and 40 home runs is not nearly as big of a deal. Absolutely. Nope, I couldn't agree more. So right now, if I were to to say it, it would be Rivera, uh, French, and Andrade would be my guess is the order that they will finish in if they continue to, to play in the way that they're playing right now. But that, you know, I, I could argue against it too. <laughs> I, I'm never quite as bold in my answers as you are, Justin. Well, I like upsetting people, I suppose. And, and um, you know, I don't have very many trade partners left. And so, <laughs> so what happens if I get zero? Oh, well. <laughs> oh, there you go. Alrighty, well, this is fun. We've been each been through our three strikes. Uh, we'll get this packaged up and we'll put it out uh, for the public to vote on and see see if one of us struck out the other. Sounds good. Alrighty. Look to- Fantastic. Thanks for your time, Justin. We have to definitely have to do this again. This is a lot Absolutely. Of fun. Thanks, Ron. You've been listening to the BBA Today, a podcast that covers the Brewster Baseball Association every day. Music is Bold Statement, available at FesleyInStudios.com and used with attribution. Be safe and well, and we will hear you again tomorrow.